On this episode of the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast, we're going to be talking about a song that I think should have been on the Purple Rain soundtrack, and that is Possessed. And joining me on this episode is first-time guest Jack Reedy. Welcome to the show, Jack. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, you making the time to get on the phone. Uh, hey, you know, sliding into DMs can really work wonders, turns out. All the, <laughs> all the rumors are true, so thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm easy that way, right? So, um, just <laughs> I, slide I, in my DMs, and you can, sh- and you can be on the show. All you have to do is slide in my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a compelling reason, and you're on. Um, so, anyway, Jack, you first time guest, as I mentioned. I would uh, appreciate it if you would give the listeners an opportunity to kind of get to know you a little bit more and un- understand where your entry point um, with Prince's music and how you became aware of him and. And where has that led you on on your journey with Prince's music? Totally. Yeah, I uh, I will say I'm sort of removed from the people that grew up with Prince. You know, I have my mom's copy of Purple Rain in my record collection. Uh, I'm in my late 20s. So I think really the first time I was aware of him as someone, you know, that was a performer and, you know, a important person was seeing the, the Super Bowl halftime show, which was, I think, during my... Uh, I think I was even younger than middle school. I think I was like in elementary school still because I remember buying Purple Rain on iTunes like the day before because it was on sale and it was like, oh, this is supposed to be a big deal, you know, album from the 80s I've never heard. Let me check this out before this guy plays the Super Bowl. And um, of course, it didn't really make any sense to me as a pre-pubescent kid, but it's sunk its teeth into me you know as like oh this is great i don't get it at all i don't really understand the lyrics uh you know what is happening here and then especially getting that paired with you know the super bowl halftime show itself which is so stunning it was really you know a remarkable kind of combo to latch its way into my um, young subconscious so from there i was a prince fan you know in high school and in college uh getting into just really the 80s you know golden age period um, kind of haphazardly, you know, bouncing around based on the reviews I read in, you know, 500 greatest albums of all time type lists. So, you know, mm-hmm. Sign of the Times was a big one for me as a result after that. And, you know, kind of haphazardly getting through the singles and things like that. But, um, you know, especially with uh, his death in 2016, that was a big, you know, uh, moment for me to sort of get an understanding of how big his fan base was beyond me you know because for a while he was sort of a legacy act he wasn't touring as much later in his life and so i think you know for a lot of people they uh sort of began reappreciating, especially very publicly his music which was really beneficial for me as someone who's a uh, younger fan to really start to get some of that context around like oh yeah prince was a big deal he was a superstar but he was a superstar and you know um hearing just random strangers tell their stories about, you know, Purple Rain and things like that was was really a, a big deal for me at, at that point. So um, I have like Prince anecdotes for days because I, I never saw him live, but I have some chance encounters like going to Paisley Park while he was still around and visiting Paisley Park in the years since with it being a museum and everything. Um, but as I've uh, started a music criticism freelancing period uh i've done a lot of you know one-off stories on prince music here and there like a story about madhouse for vinyl me please uh writing a personal essay about some of his music as it relates to the batman soundtrack 
And then uh, tying a lot of that writing all together into a compilation book uh, called Electric Word Life uh, that I published in 2021 with my fiance doing the art, uh, this really gorgeous uh, package with these illustrations and this floral thing. Um, I'll have to send you a, I don't know if I have any physical copies, but I'll at least send you a digital scan so you can get an idea what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, please do. The collection ends up being sort of about not only Prince's music, but also about being a fan of his music and what being a fan of music can be like for someone. You know, I think that's sort of the meta text for me, at least, is taking these articles and combining them and, you know, seeing how Prince sort of emerges. But in particular, I wrote uh, a story about D'Angelo, who's a really, really fantastic, uh, you know, R&B artist. Um, who's very reclusive, very inspired by Prince, and, um, you know, is really, really talented in some of the ways that Prince was, um, and has always sort of emulated him. And, you know, I think it's interesting to think about me loving Prince's music is something that I have in common with another musical genius, uh, like D'Angelo, uh, you know, sort of goes to show, um, the universality of that music, right? You know, uh, I don't have much in common skills wise, life wise with someone like D'Angelo, but I love his music in the same way I do Prince's. Um, and uh, it kind of leads us to today where, uh, you know, the song is sort of about a love or lust or an idea gone too far. Um, if I can segue. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, so yeah, thank you, thank you for that. I, I do greatly appreciate having any any younger uh, Prince fans on the show because a lot of a lot of us, you know, in the forty plus forty to forty to sixty forty to sixty five age range, we make up a, a large percentage, I think, of the people who champion Prince's music online through things like podcasts and YouTube channels and books and uh blogs but there's obviously people who are younger than that people who did not um did not grow up with prince did not experience the 80s in real time you know the the massive success that prince uh, experienced himself and we were we were along with him on that ride but those who did were not they may still love the 80s but they may look at it in a different light as just a part of the the cohesive and whole collection of his discography and of his work because there's no nostalgic uh, attachments to those those songs and those albums from the 80s like they are for for me for example so yeah, it's I really feel like cool. a lot of my high school years was like you know walking around pointing at a at a newspaper or i guess pointing at my ipod and being like no, no no you don't understand like i know you think prince is just like this old guy uh who's you know some 80s pop star that we don't even think about but no prince's music is in everything still you know in uh you know pointing to like things i was hearing in rap or in pop music on the radio or things like that and being able to say no no, no this is a big deal prince is there's dna from prince in this um, and I think there was a big generation gap with technology in a lot of those ways, you know, for a while trying to get, uh, Prince music was not easy. You know, you couldn't buy it on iTunes or you couldn't hear it on YouTube or, uh, you know, a lot of the ways that I think people mm -hmm. of, you know, my age bracket, late twenties, early thirties were, you know, getting music, all these sorts of ways, uh, that, you know, Prince 
made it very difficult to to partake in. You know, um, I remember it being a big deal when he got on the iTunes store, when he got uh, some of his music on streaming, and then it was only on some streaming services. And you know, obviously, a lot has changed in that regard. But I do think there was sort of a generation gap that was created by that. And um, you know, for me, it was sort of this interesting, you know, almost secretive thing that, you know, paradoxically, it's like, here's the superstar who is, you know, a very big deal, uh, but not necessarily as visible as he used to be, at least to people my age. Um, and so for me, I feel like I'm working backwards a little bit. You know, it's been very gratifying for me to understand Prince's career, not in real time, but to try and understand it that way. You know, there's such a progression you can observe in his music uh, from album to album, from song to song, the collaborators that work with him, all those things. And so, you know, there's so much great music to dig through that you can just enjoy for what it is. But especially for someone like me, who, uh, as I'm sure we will continue to reveal, is a huge music nerd, to be able to understand these things chronologically uh, is really gratifying. And especially then you factor in, uh, you know, the fan reaction or the input from people who were there at the shows or seeing the movies when they came out and and actually having that public opinion in real time because you know he was also someone who paid attention to how his records were perceived and certainly how mm -hmm. they were selling so it's really helpful to have that uh you know sort of other side of the the generation gap for me is that that real time stuff yeah yeah it, it is it is very valuable i think as well and valuable to the listeners who are of my age bracket to hear your perspectives and, and where you're coming from with his music and things like you've mentioned, you know, having to point out that to people who weren't as familiar, like he isn't just a legacy act. And hey, you know that that latest song by Janelle Monet? I mean, she <laughs> she was very much influenced by Prince, and and maybe they didn't know that or didn't care, but you could point it out, and that's that's obviously valuable to his legacy. For I definitely sure. feel like I'm beating that drum a little bit. I just, uh, back in October, actually uh, DJed a, a full Prince vinyl set uh, for the anniversary of 1999. And part of that was like, no, no, no. I think people need to hear these songs in a dark room with the dance floor and stuff. You know, not on the radio as a totally 80s weekend thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. No, that's awesome. And And since I completely uh, screwed up your earlier segue, I'm going to latch onto that segue the 1999 <laughs> segue that you handed me just now and talk about possessed which is you know the, the song of the day so possessed we got two versions that we have been gifted over the past five years six years five and a half we've got the uh the 1982 version that wound up on the 1999 super deluxe edition that was released in 2019 and that one, that version, the 82 version was recorded in May of 1982 at Princess Kiowa Trail Home Studio in Chanahassa, Minnesota, which is why it was included as part of the 1999 Super Deluxe. It's right in that time frame when he was writing and recording songs for what would be on that album. However, two years prior to that, we in 2017, we got a version of Possessed that on the Purple Rain Deluxe Edition that was more widely known, I think, because of its inclusion, at least musical inclusion, its background music in, in a scene in the movie Purple Rain, but also its inclusion, a live version of it, on the, uh, the 1985 Syracuse VHS. And 
broadcast that that went out in 85 from you know from the purple rain tour so there was an opportunity two opportunities for people to become aware of this song one more overt the live version one kind of hidden this background music in the purple rain movie which is why in the intro i suggested that maybe this song could have should have been on a proper purple rain soundtrack and what i mean by proper is songs that could be heard in the film not just prince and the revolution nine tight tracks of prince and the revolution if it was like a double album like what graffiti bridge was uh nine years or six years later where it was like a collection of all the different music there would have been the time stuff there would have been apollonia six stuff could have gotten modern air and we we would have gotten possessed hypothetically if there if that purple rain soundtrack two disc version actually was released or you know an accompaniment um to the uh, prince and the revolution tracks but nevertheless you want to talk about not getting it without the context like listening to purple rain knowing it's a soundtrack but then getting the sort of loose explanation from my parents of like yeah the movie's pretty good but like not all the songs from the album are really in it and then there's a bunch of other music like you know, knowing that there's like not this straight one to one comparison in the way that, you know, you grow up listening to like actual soundtracks or musicals and it's just a one to one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, very good little introduction to the sort of idiosyncrasies of uh, of Prince's whole thing. Right. Yeah, very, very idiosyncratic. And thank you for <laughs> explaining that, because it in real time, I didn't think anything of it because I didn't watch the movie until about a year two years after i'd heard the soundtrack so the fact that there was all this other music like jungle love i had heard on the radio a bunch of times by the time i finally saw the film uh, i knew sex shooter from mtv before i saw the film so i'm like oh so there's just all this collection of stuff that ex- has existed in pop culture and in you know music as modern music at the time this happened to be in this movie um and i didn't i didn't really think of it as odd or uh you know kind of bucking any trends from soundtrack perspective even though all the other soundtracks of that era did not follow that footloose had just songs from the from the movie in the footloose like every song that was you could find in the movie was on the soundtrack <laughs> every right, single right. song that was in flash dance the movie was on the soundtrack sorry purple rain fans <laughs> you had to, you had to buy three separate albums to get the music and then you still didn't get it all <laughs> Well, what's crazy about hearing, you know, the, I guess what you'd call final version that's out now that we can all stream that's from the Purple Rain Deluxe is I think the final Possessed is fantastic. And it goes to show how much music that there was around this time that it wasn't even ever fully released. You know, it was just background music as an instrumental in the movie, because I think this song is incredible. It, you know, could stack up against some of the best stuff that they've written from this period. Um, and I'm kind of mad in retrospect. I'm like, how did it take me this long to hear this song, you know, with the uh, with the reissue whenever it was a few years ago? Um, I think I actually first heard it on a bootleg from the the birthday show, um, which I think is from uh, June 84, right before uh, Purple Rain itself came out. That was one of the first live recordings I heard um, that wasn't, you know, the official uh released albums like the one night alone and things like that and so to get not only this really great concert from you know this peak era uh 1984 but it has a couple songs in there that 
you know, weren't ever released in any other form officially, you know, Possessed was on there, I think All Day, All Night, um, a couple others, like maybe Our Destiny and things like that. So I'm hearing this song that, uh, you know, is not part of what I understand to be Prince's catalog. Uh, and then it's in a way different version performed with the revolution, like the live music version of, you know, eight people playing it is a lot closer to the James Brown roots of the song than the Purple Rain era version, which is, you know, just really out there, very few live instruments to it at all. Um, and it's just this weird, like multifaceted song that you can hear in all these different versions. Um, and I think the fact that it never was released in a final form makes these other versions, you know, hard to forget. You know, it's hard to point to, oh, the final, you know, ultimate version of Possessed, of course, that's the one. You kind of have to piece it together or at least engage with these, all these different versions um, that this, that exist of this song. Yeah, yeah. And there's the 83 version with Prince and the Revolution that was recorded that I have not personally heard. I would love to hear the live band version of this song. It's probably probably similar to what we ended up hearing on you know, the Purple Rain tour. If you heard any bootlegs of when it was performed during the tour or of course on the in the syracuse show that was was released officially um but still i would like to hear like the the studio band version someday but you know wish uh that's the wish for a different day i think before we jump into the song itself i want to say i'm thrilled you brought up the double album idea because i have to give a shout out to uh zachary hoskins at uh uh, dance music sex romance who did this great sort of like alternate timelines little fan fiction about what if uh he had rushed out an album in 1983 called the dawn and so the movie the movie never happens but possessed of course makes the cut and i i actually had a similar thing in uh my book electric word life that i just titled what if purple rain was a double album and of course i had to put possessed on the track list i put it after the beautiful ones and before the extended uh hallway version of computer blue because i had the same thought of like let's get the track list with all the like eight minute nine minute stretched out versions that you know of course will never actually be pressed to vinyl so they can just run on forever let's go you know double deluxe on this so i'm glad we're all having the same idea of where's our (laughs) double album version what's going on here yes yes every every single version of this hypothetical double album purple rain must include the hallway speech version of computer blue no questions asked (laughs) and that's another one you know you talk about like uh bootlegs uh and you know sort of the the unofficial stuff obviously there was a final version of computer blue but i remember hearing about the hallway speech version for years before i had ever actually heard of a version of it and i think that is a classic example of you know, they were right to trim it down. Like, I get it. It's cool to hear the final version, but now that I'm used to hearing the the deluxe, you know, 15-minute version, I'm like, no, I get it. They should have edited it. Now that it's no longer lost to me, uh, I get it. I see why they did it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I see why they did it, but I I just love that version, the long version, so much that I'm, I just can't, I can't think of a world without it now. You know, like, <laughs> Purple Rain to me has to have like it's like oh cool do you like Computer Blue? Well you're gonna love this. <laughs> I played for people and they're like, what was that? And what what did I just listen to? Because it kind of blows them away, but also confuses them, confuses them oh, a little yeah. bit, which it totally would have done to any any 
mainstream audiences in 1984. They would have been, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> that's what we love them for, right? That's that's what we're here for. <laughs> it, it definitely, why we're still talking about his music, I think. Uh, so, okay, back to Possessed. All right, so this song being as kind of well-known but still unheard of, or unheard, not unheard of, but more unheard in, in various versions, official studio versions. So we we were lucky enough to get two released versions, and the lyrics to both versions are are very similar. So like unlike some songs where Prince reworks them, they take on a completely new life, or he changes the lyrics very significantly. There are differences, but they're they're pretty slight. At least from the the various verses are the way that the various verses are concerned. Now, both versions are long. Both versions clock in at over seven minutes plus. I think one of them even hits the eight minute mark. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the second half of each of these songs. And they're both very different second halves of the songs. But the first, you know, three verses and the chorus are very similar. So kind of when we're thinking about what what is possessed about what is the th- what are the themes of the song and we could talk about the subtle differences it's probably worth talking about but i don't think at the end of the day it's really going to make a big difference in terms of how we perceive the songs themes subject matter and what he was trying to kind of convey with this with this track uh, jack do you kind of agree with that or do you think the differences or the the changes that he make are significant no, I think you're right that especially on the page, the it's very clear the two versions of the song are the same song, right? Like the lyric is very consistent. As you said, the changes that come lyrically are mostly in sort of like the ad libs or the the breakdown, the extended sections where it's clearly kind of improvised and it's more of a, you know, whether it's a call and response or more of a monologue, he's just kind of messing around and trying out different things, which is cool to hear those differences. We can definitely dig in there. But, you know, the main difference is not in sort of the song itself, but more in the the recording of it, right? It's the the production being several, you know, BPM faster. And really, I think the delivery is uh, so, is what's really striking to me hearing the two uh versions back to back is you know the vocal on the first version of the song feels more like a demo it's slower and his tone vocally is so kind of relaxed and it sounds really cool it sounds slick it sounds nonchalant which doesn't really work with the theme of this sort of desperation and the the feeling of being possessed you listen to the the purple rain era version and his vocal performance just sounds so stressed out uh, but also turned on and sort of in capturing the desperation that the lyric is getting at. Um, I think the Purple Rain version, while we're at it, is just the, I think it's the closest one we can point to as the finished version. It's the best version. If you only have time for one, that is the one to hear. But I think hearing the two back to back is great. It really does feel like you're going from a really good demo to a finished song. And I think it's because he builds up the lyrical theme so much better in this finished version. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think the the 84 version is, in my opinion, the definitive version and the one that I would choose if I had to. And I and and part of it is, I like how it does sound more desperate, and he sounds more angry. I think a little bit, and um, and I have a, th- I don't know. It's it's maybe a bullshit theory. And I might be reaching, and I want to talk about it at some point, maybe not quite yet, but as to why I think that tone changes a little bit from 82 to 84, based off of potentially somebody that in his periphery or in his life that he could have been singing the song about or thinking about when he wrote it. But in essence, possessed subject matter, you know, the song, the lyrics, he's essentially talking about how he is kind of possessed with lust this person he's going crazy he says something's the matter baby i'm going insane something inside of me keeps talking to my brain why can't i stop this satanic lust or demonic lust in the 84 version that's one line he changes just one word satanic to demonic but thing i know i shouldn't hold you my body says i must so he kind of feels like he has no control over himself he has no control over his actions and what the song is i you know really kind of trying to convey i think here is this this woman is essentially taken over his his entire being to the point where he's becoming maybe a little bit dangerous um, dangerous to himself, maybe dangerous to others, dangerous to just uh, the fact that he can't stop thinking about somebody else. And it's it's more of an infatuation, if you want to call it that, but he feels like he's being possessed by her. And just the act of being possessed by another person kind of conjures up imagery of, you know, demonic possession, like the exorcist or, <laughs> you know, and he says demonic and satanic. So, of course... Mm-hmm. Maybe he was watching The Exorcist and was thinking, what if I was possessed not by the devil to do evil, but to, you know, possessed by this woman to be just this lustful creature that can't control himself and, and only thinks about this this woman. Um, so, I mean, again, that's just a really basic kind of somewhat summary of what the song may be trying to convey. What did, what did I miss, Jack? What do you, what else do you see? Yeah, I think you're totally right that, um, you know, it boils down to this lust that, I mean, even names checks in the lyric that it's sort of, it's either satanic, demonic, but it's this feeling that's possessing him, you know, externally uh, and sort of taking him over, which I think is a really compelling image 
something that I've been thinking about a lot is the way that he's sort of getting at this dark side or dark illusion idea of lust as something scary, something controlling, um, in contrast to so much of his work that is about sex and about lust in a very sort of friendly or positive or... Or godlike. Exactly, godlike light. Uh, And I think it's very interesting to think of Prince almost looking at lust and sex as like uh, the force in Star Wars. It's like this, you know, it's, it's a, there's good sides, there's bad sides. Like, you know, it's a spectrum, right? Like, and I think this song is sort of him, not for the first time, but definitely perhaps for the most overtly, at least at this stage in his career, hinting at this sort of devilish idea, the demonic counterpoint of, you know, some of his other lyrics and some of his other songs. At the same time, I mean, you know, you talk about the devil in rock music and it goes all the way back before rock music. You know, you're getting into songs from the blues that, you know, tie sex and death and the devil and God all up into one stew. So it's certainly not a new theme in in pop music overall. But I think there's something obviously very unique about the way Prince pulls it off by making it into this this big dance track. And I think he also makes the idea of possession sound really sexy. You know, I think the way he talks about the uh, the song, even before you get into sometimes the almost orgasmic ad-libbing that he's doing at the end, doing all these different voices and all this stuff in the breakdown that we can get into more in detail, but he talks about being possessed at times, not even by the idea of lust, but by this woman's voice or her ideas rattling around in his head. And I think there's something to that idea of, you know, I can't stop thinking about you. You're in my head. I feel like I'm possessed by you. So anything that I'm doing is not under my control. It's under your control. You know, he's playing with these interesting ideas of power and control, and it doesn't really seem to be all that clear who's in charge. Um, but not in a way that like blurs consent, but just sort of plays with power um, in a way that I think is really sexy and really powerful in its own right. Yeah, he, especially early in his career, obviously I, on the show, I've only made it through the 80s and I took some back steps back to do these vault songs. So we'll see as his, as his career progresses and his songwriting progresses, if some of these themes continue to pop up. But specifically in the 80s, he's really plays with that notion that you brought up of control and who has control over his actions. Like he seems to have a lot of that. That's a songwriting trope that he utilized more than once where he kind of almost gives up control to the woman. Um, And it's it's maybe subconscious. But it certainly feels at times where he's doing it because he wants to. And and going back to, again, your comment about consent, uh, he acts like he's all taken aback by it and, and, and feels like he has, like it's a bad, potentially a bad thing. But you also start to wonder, like, does he, is this like a kink? Does he kind of like get off on, <laughs> you know, get allowing these women to like walk all over him and then control him? in ways some of these songs you kind of wonder if that's really what where he's what he's exploring and and like he wants it wanted 
or really and maybe enjoyed those aspects of his relationships where the woman was very domineering and controlling um whether or not that perpetuated in his his real life uh where he would maybe seek out women to date that weren't as maybe as controlling i don't know i mean that that's for for other people to to kind of point out people who knew him more intimately but some of these songs really plays with that a lot it's not just possessed Uh, another song that i don't know if it's really like a spiritual cousin to the song but it makes me think of it because a lot of the same language is used is a song Mm -hmm. another another unreleased song called lust you always um we have to assume based off of prince fault that these two songs were recorded written around the same time and prince is playing with a lot of the same themes in lust you always where he just feels like he's out of control out of control with with this you know he uses the word lust multiple times obviously in lust you always but he uses lust in this song more than once not it's not as repeated quite as often but it's certainly used and i definitely think that the the ideas of of lust and being um kind of possessed by somebody sexually has driven is driving him mad and driving him in a way that he's basically claiming that he's no longer in control and both of those songs kind of do that in my opinion yeah i think there's you know uh i think that's part of his appeal at the end of the day is the way he plays around with um being the alpha male by not being the alpha male to use a uh i guess a simplified term you know uh it's it's always a little ambiguous in a lot of his love songs you know he's playing with uh ideas of uh you know masculinity and femininity is uh you know these are well trod uh grounds for you know prince scholars to discuss and things like that but i think you can see it even in you know what on its surface appears to be a really straightforward song right it's a dance song it's very horny he's you know he's so in love with you he feels like he's possessed you know but i think to his credit uh, he takes that pretty simple idea and adds all these other dimensions on top of it, you know, that warrants some analysis playing with these ideas of control. And um, it's killing me because I'm trying to find the uh, the quote. Uh, I was flipping through the, the Purple Rain Era Sessions book by Dwayne Tudal, and uh, there was a great quote that I, I was reading earlier today about, you know, Prince's appeal to women, and I believe it was, uh susan rogers that was writing it but that was one thing that she name checked specifically was you know when he wrote to women it was not i'm gonna do this to you it was hey why don't you do this to me look at like do me baby as an example is one that she brings up you know but this idea of uh speaking to women in a way that was less about um objectification and more about engaging with them emotionally and more in a relationship And uh, in the quote, she mentions that one of the real failures of anyone who tried to imitate Prince moving forward was taking this sort of stock masculine approach of saying, oh, I'm going to do this to you and I'll do it better than anyone else, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, really missing sort of the forest for the trees and how he wrote a lot of his songs uh, about sex and directed at women with this, you know, different, somewhat alternative perspective. Uh, that has a lot more layers and a, and I'd say more sophistication to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and somebody could listen to a song like Possessed or Lust You Always 
and maybe not think of it quite so dangerously or so darkly as maybe some of the lyrics imply when you listen to them or you look at them, read them off a page, for example, and just think of it as just a really like strong in your face declaration of attraction. Uh, because then like he talks about well, the chorus is I'm possessed. I don't know what to do. I'm possessed. I'm either stone crazy in love with you or I'm so crazy in love with you. Just, again, depending on which version. So the, the chorus is very simple, but he says love. I'm in love with you in the chorus. So he's not simply just talking about lust and sexual attraction. He's trying to at least put it in, out there in the chorus that there's some love involved whether it's I'm in love with you because I that's the closest way or the easiest way for me to have sex with you is if we're in love or if I say I love you you know you could look at it that way and be more cynical about it I suppose think that um like in the second verse when he says something's the matter you're all i see your voice is all i hear i wish i didn't need you wish i didn't care i've got to make some love to you uh because it's much too much to bear and I'm possessed yeah and so those <laughs> lines those lines if you look at them differently if you look at them from a different perspective they could be looked at more sweetly or just like as a like i said a declaration more of just a love or attraction or something that somebody would say and and like a girl might think that oh that's cute i'm all you think about cool um except for when he says i wish i didn't need you wish i didn't care because that again implies that maybe he's feel like he's going too far down that path or or it's it's been you know too much to think about now, let's say, hypothetically, you're a woman that a guy you've been dating for a few months or whatever comes up and says, like, I can't stop thinking about you. You're all I see when I go, you know, I close my eyes. I see your face when you're not around. I can't think of anything but you. I mean, it just depends. On, <laughs> depends on how it's delivered, I think. And depends on where they're at in their relationship that comes across as maybe too needy or a bit possessive well and that's the thing when you hear prince's delivery on the song you know you he sounds tormented you know you believe him when he says uh you know i wish i didn't need you wish i didn't care like it's you know he sings it kind of from his guts um and i think you know it i it goes to it speaks to the strength of that that vocal performance but you're right too that the lyric itself is um on the page you can read it different ways you know it, it the the tone is comes out in a lot of the not just the music but the the vocal itself you could also sort of coo those lyrics and it might come across you know in a totally different way but that's not uh that's not the story prince is telling it's so locked into this idea of like no i'm possessed and it is 
you know, ruining my life right now, but I can't get over it. You know, I, I'm, I'm coming back for more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, um, the delivery is everything in this song, especially in the 84 version, especially in the 84 version. Uh, and, and that, that delivery does not give you kind of the warm and fuzzies that maybe some of these li- lyrics and lines would, if it was a love song, uh, sung in a different manner. And just some slightly tweaked words. I mean, again, there's certain lines in the song that tell us that this is not healthy. At least it's not healthy to the person who's being possessed. Mm-hmm. The demonic lust sat- slash satanic lust. I wish I didn't need you. Wish I didn't care. That, again, is not something you would tell somebody that you really were in love with, that you wanted to express this to them. Uh, you know, as a declaration of that, that sort of love. Third verse says, something's the matter, baby. My mind's in a daze. I'm tripping off your love. It's so hard to relate. Can't stop this yearning. Lord knows I've tried. And he says, either free me from the spell or free me from despair in the 84 version. Again, the 84 version is a little darker. Uh, I'm much too young to die. And that line stays the same. So it just keeps going downhill a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> my mind's in a daze. I'm tripping off your love. Tripping means, you know, like he's... Like he's almost like like a drug in some ways. His this this possession, this uh, lust, is a little bit of a drug. Although he says love, but I I think love and lust in this song, even though he says it in a way in the chorus where you couldn't get that he's talking about true love, I almost wonder if he's really just kind of using those those terms interchangeably. And the love he's talking about in this song and the way it's delivered is more like just another stand-in for lust. Well, you want to talk about a mind being in a daze, right? Like, imagine trying to sort of piece all these shards of psychosexual drama together at, like, age 10 after hearing, you know, Darling Nikki flowing into, uh, you know, the rest of Side 2 or whatever, right? Like, uh, I think that is, uh, in some ways, the, the power of Prince is he's got all these fumbling combinations of love and lust and sex and death and religion all kind of mashed together a lot of times all within one song and it makes it somewhat hard to parse you know especially as i think you know uh trying to come from a more logical adult perspective but i tell you what it makes a lot of sense i think emotionally especially as, uh, you know, a confused, perpetually horny teen. Like, I think he's able to articulate this uh, pretty universal sense of, like, angst and frustration and pent-up sexual energy in a way that doesn't come across as immature because he's elevated the stakes and the drama to this totally existential level of, I'm too young to die of I feel like I'm on drugs, of all I hear is your voice. Uh, And it resonates, you know, it resonates to this day. It resonates to 
the modern ear, it resonates to people far beyond that, uh, you know, stage of their life. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that much too young to die line sticks with me personally, just because of, he says the word free me from the spell or free me from despair. So either way, like if you just look at it from the 82 version, free me from the spell, I'm much too young to die. I kind of get from that, that he's saying this, the spell that she has put on him. I mean, again, I have to put most of the blame on him for being put under the spell. I doubt that, you know, we're not talking literally a spell. Like she didn't cast some voodoo magic on him. He's, he's horny for her like you said, and it's kind of his own fault. Like he should be able to, to, to find balance in his life. <laughs> and the fact that right, and there's this, there's this push and pull here of like, you know, he's complaining so much about this possession and it's wrecking his life. But here he is, you know, singing this song and saying like, okay, well, so I need, I need you back. I, you know, I'm calling you up or I'm coming over or whatever it is. You know, it's the same I the same push and pull of like, oh, it's so bad. He's possessed, so he can't help himself. So he's calling her, but he loves it, you know, because he's in love with her or because he's in lust. What, it, you know, it's yeah. I don't think there's a there's quite like a clear answer, especially like we keep saying in the 1984 version. I think the failing of the 1982 version is it's a little bit slower. So it's got, you know, a different groove, which isn't a problem on its own, but especially with Prince singing it slower accordingly, and his delivery is way more, almost closer to like this proto-rap thing similar to Irresistible Bitch or Feel You Up, which is a really cool groove, but doesn't work with this feeling of desperation. He sings about being possessed and on the older version, you don't believe him. You know, it doesn't sound like he's possessed. He doesn't have that desperation in his voice. That's, again, like you said, one of the failings of that 82 version is it's missing that a little bit. And then the 82 or the 84 version, when he says, free me from despair, I'm much too young to die. You almost you almost get the sense that he's almost contemplating suicide in some ways. Like this it's so bad. I mean, not maybe not literally, of course. Uh, I don't know. But it's certainly possible you can get from that. Like he's just so overwhelmed and maybe so um well he says despair so you kind of got to get a feeling that he's experiencing some sort of negative emotions over this Mm -hmm. to the to the point where the fact that he has to bring up death as a potential end game for him (laughs) when this is all done it, it really does take it to a dark place that you wouldn't necessarily expect a song about just general lust mm-hmm. general general attraction to go and that's why the song specifically the 84 version does imply a much that he's in a much darker mental state than the 82 version everything about it just screams possession in 
in not in a good way. Not not in a good way. He's not possessed by the Holy Spirit. You know, he's not he's not possessed by, you know, goodwill towards men. He's <laughs> he's, he's possessed by this kind of just gut wrenching attraction where, you know, he just can't shake it, and he blames her, but still wants. You know, we kind of both agreed that while he blames, puts the blame squarely on her for just being too hot. Um, he he ultimately, I think, understands that it's on him. And even a line like free me from this, from despair, that despair, again, is coming from internally is, you know, coming internally, which is why a lot of people who are experiencing really dark thoughts in their head about themselves and about their future. It's all, you know, internal for the most part. And a lot of that is just, um, you know, our brains tricking us into thinking that we're not worthy or maybe he's tri- being tricked into thinking that he's not worthy of this this woman and not worthy of, you know, her time. And so he just thinks about her instead of actually doing something about it. You know, yeah, if he's, if he's something... in lust with her, he should maybe approach her. Maybe he doesn't feel like he can. Yeah. And I think there's something to, you know, the instrumentation on the 84 version to me sounds so close to when doves cry in terms of the the beat and a lot of the instrumentation around it, you know, it doesn't really have, any of the rock guitar, but it's also missing the bass the same way when Doves Cry is. And, um, you know, I think they both have a similar sense of torment and conflict, but it also is very clear that it's all internal. You know, it's like the psychological um, debate almost that's going on inside of him that, uh, you know, at least on the outside is, you know, externalized as just what could be a normal flirtation or a, a normal relationship but you know on the inside he's um reaching out of a bathtub you know because he feels like he can't get a connection with you <laughs> you know mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to remember other stuff from that video but uh you know um i think it does a really great job of conveying that you know torment and that sort of psychological um you know problem that he's dealing with and then when you get into the uh, the last couple choruses and it gets into this breakdown, more extended section. I love this sort of tossed off. Does anybody want this body thing that he tosses off? Um, almost like a, an ad lib or what have you. It almost, it sounds to me very like petty um, and sort of, you know, again, it feels very almost like an immature thing of something a teenager would say of like, okay, well, if you won't pick up the phone, like, does any you know in a crowded bar or a crowded club or something like does anybody want me you know just this sort of uh <laughs> yeah yeah sort of stupid bit of uh you know it almost feels like you really get the sense of character coming out of that line right this almost almost diva-esque attitude um but especially paired with the music and the way his voice you know really approaches this higher register he does really start to sound out of control and it, it sounds a little unnerving you know it almost reminds me of something out of twin peaks uh hearing that and then going into this dance break uh has this weird uncanny quality to it yeah and i do want to i want to talk more about that the ending of the 84 version but before we do that i just want to make a couple more comments about the 82 version before we move on to the 84 ending
the 82 version is a lot you know how it ends is just a lot of riffing off of um you know, the themes and saying he's possessed and doesn't know what to do he he curses more and, and uses more vulgar language in the 82 version he says you know he's fucked in the head mm-hmm. he uses the word uses the word pussy several times you know he gets he gets he gets vulgar you know he says like he wants to um you know take her into his bed so he's really pushing the lust angle here uh your your pussy puts up quite an awful fuss i mean he's he's just gone. and he's like grumbling as he said is he sounds very you know confident in in this way you know it's very sort of like domineering um and it works with the rest of the song but it doesn't really match thematically in the same way of feeling yeah, like he just out of control he just sounds like horny, you know? I mean, ultimately, right. <laughs> the ending of The Possessed 82, it just sounds like he's horny for this for this woman, which is fine. Uh, if that's what the, you know, his initial original thought on creating this song was, I'm going to write a song about being super horny about this girl who's really hot. She possesses my thoughts, and we're going to take that, take that angle. And then, you know, like I said, this is where the lust you always kind of, the two songs kind of hold hands in that way because they're both kind of about that they're both about being super horny for somebody and um but then the possessed 84 version though instead of being just you know maybe a little bit about being horny it's more about me it's it's more about being angry it's more angry and it's more pissed off that he's experiencing this and he's feeling these these feelings and he's like you know maybe a little bit um childish in some of the the language he uses like you know uh, does anybody want this body as you mentioned but then he's got this uh, interlude towards the end of the song is what we'll call it Have you ever had the feeling that someone was tearing you up into little bitty pieces and contemplating selling you for a jigsaw puzzle? You are like an animal running around inside the cage. Oh, why aren't you due for a vacation, dirty liar? And then he says over and over again towards the end of the song, someone's in my body, someone's in the body, someone's in my box. I, I, I originally, I'll just be honest with you, I originally thought he was saying someone's in my thoughts. The transcribed lyrics online that I found say someone's in my box, so I don't know. But I feel like this last part of the song is really what kind of takes it up several notches into like great, you know, unreleased Prince track territory for me. You are like an animal running around inside the cage of my heart. Aren't you due for a vacation, dirty? Someone's in my body, someone's in my body, someone's in my 
there's a lot of cool stuff instrumentally that happens too where you get these crazy synth effect buildups mm-hmm. and the you know interlude that you're describing happens with this really cool you know multi-harmony with this crazy sort of rhythm to it that and you can't uh, forget the spelling out the p-o-s-s-e-s-s-e-d which does not happen in the 82 version either Right, you know, he takes what is a pretty good groovy little demo from 82 and adds on, you know, just all these different, like, let me add on a way creepier chord progression that's plucked by what sounds like a harp. Let me add in a super funky, super simple, like, spelled out chant, you know, that totally fits into something that James Brown might have done with his band. And then this interlude that he gets into is just like a super freaky image that, at the same time totally fits in with the rest of the song this idea of someone is tearing you up into pieces uh which i think is a close to a cliche right you know that feels like something you've heard in songs before but he takes it you know two three steps further they're tearing you into pieces and they're thinking about selling you as a jigsaw puzzle you know a thousand pieces what have you so someone else can put you back together And then I can't even really dissect the second half much. You are like an animal running around inside the cage of my heart. Aren't you due for a vacation, dirty liar? That's like two or three more metaphors to me. I I don't even know how to necessarily piece them all together, but it's almost like the stream of consciousness, you know, very loaded impressionistic idea of, you know, someone being in control or you being in control of them, you know, uh, it kind of just keeps replicating itself. And then you get to the end where he's doing the someone's in my body whale. And that's another thing that I think the performance does so much where he has this sort of, you know, aroused, but also scared sound in his voice. And, um, you know, it sounds like he is um, almost taunting someone at the same time. And I'm with you as well that I didn't understand the lyric totally to that last part. Someone's in my body. Someone's in my body. I thought he was just repeating that over and over and over again, which I think has its own sort of, you know, allure to it. Uh, Has a lot of very rich, you know, simple uh, metaphors that come through there. But then ending with someone's in my box. I imagine ties back to the jigsaw puzzle idea, which is cool. It goes, you know, even further to complicate that. Like, hey, if I'm a jigsaw puzzle and someone else is in my box, what does that mean? But also, I think, speaks to some possible gender flipping there. I mean, I hate to be crude, but, you know, box is a slang term that maybe he's playing around with a little bit there. Mm, Um, Maybe. I think there's something to this idea of, you know, losing control and being so intertwined or so possessed by somebody else, you know, that he starts playing around even with, you know, this uh, idea of physical uh, genitalia and things like that. I mean, it's just it gets really sort of uh, freaky is really the best word for it at the end. You know, he's scared and he's changing shape, maybe, or he's uh, being uh, shape shifted by something. It's really, really bananas <laughs> yeah i mean he sounds sounds disturbed to it me. reminds He's, me of horror you know it makes me think of david lynch it makes me think of somebody like uh, david cronenberg you know the idea of somebody's mind controlling their body so much that they start to change shape or being interfered uh, yeah, so yeah. Much they change body shape. <laughs> yeah. totally yeah and i think yeah. you know to tie all these ideas of losing identity changing identity body horror all this stuff I think it all all growing out of this very simple universal root idea of being really turned on by somebody you can't forget about them or having even just having a crush of some kind, you know, that they you're thinking about them and they might not thinking about you. 
he paints this totally out there, really bizarre uh, portrait of being possessed by lust and stretches it out over, what is it, seven and a half minutes, eight minutes, something like that? Mm-hmm. So the one, the one theory that I just wanted to put out there, just because I, it may be interesting to people who really like talking about Prince's personal life. <laughs> is, <laughs> yeah, is, I want to hear the, uh, I want to hear the background, the the personal life backstory. I might not be caught up on. Here. Well, and honestly, I have this is un, completely unsubstantiated whatsoever. But so, so these two songs were recorded about two years apart little less than so one thing that happened in prince's personal life from 82 to 80 early 84 was his the end of his relationship with vanity so in in may of 1982 you know he and vanity were thick thieves he's about to launch the vanity six project you know uh things were things were good on the horizon potentially between them and they they seem to have a you know a strong relationship they would appear on rolling stone magazine cover together uh here in the next nine months or so or 12 months after he broke big in 83 but by early 84 of course that relationship had ended because she did not star in purple rain as was initially um planned and originally uh planned as she would take the apollonia role so maybe by early 84 this woman that he potentially had it potentially. And now I repeat that again, potentially had in mind when he was think, singing a song and writing a song called possessed about being horny for this really hot woman because she's beautiful. We all know anybody who has eyes can see vanity is a beautiful woman, but maybe early 84 he's, he's angry at how their relationship ended angry that he still thinks about her and still probably I'm going to say not probably potentially had, you know, thoughts of her in his head six months, seven months after their, the end of their relationship, even though he wanted to move on, even though there was other women that were vying for his attention mm-hmm. and affections. And even when he potentially was uh, starting to, you know, date other people, maybe vanity was still in his head and he was angry about it because he did not like how their relationship ended uh yeah allegedly it did not end well it ended over either money or you know an affair depends on who you believe depends on what stories you want to believe dirty liar he could be calling out somebody that was really close to him uh, because it seems kind of like a, a non sequitur to call somebody a dirty liar because he's never at any point in the song in any of the lyrics has implied that this person has lied to him whatsoever he's just talking about how he's so in lust and so in love and how he's possessed and can't stop thinking about this person and then to end it like aren't you due for a vacation you're like an animal running inside run inside the cage of my mind aren't you due for a vacation yeah, totally. I, I, I didn't really think of it, you know, I think maybe because I'm picturing Prince height of his powers, even if he's writing a song this sort of torn up and tormented, I'm like, well, yeah, eventually when the song is over, he'll call the girl up and everything will work out. Um, but I think you're right to approach it, whether it ties to his personal life specifically or not, you know, to look at that last part of the interlude as a reference to a breakup or someone that you're missing or someone that you want but you can't have really does sort of explain some of the 
the anger that's built up in there beyond, you know, just, oh, I'm frustrated about being lustful. There is this venom that comes when he says, uh, you know, aren't you due for a vacation, dirty liar? And he's got this funky vocal multi-tracking happening. You know, you can really read that as an idea of, uh, you know, an attack on someone that you used to be with or someone they used to have a relationship with and you can't forget or or they keep reminding uh, they keep getting back in touch with you or something like that. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting read because it, it, it does uh, it does sort of curdle at the end in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, um, anybody listening to this episode wants to dispute that. Please do. Uh, it's just my theory. And honestly, I probably not are the first first person to have thought of that either. I just haven't been able to find anywhere where it's put out there. But I'm certainly can't be the first person to come to that or, you know, to jump to that conclusion with, you know, the difference in tone between the two versions to me is is drastic, especially towards the end where it just gets it just goes downhill in a, into a darker place where the you know, the the performer is just comes across as angry and pissed off and, and a little bit desperate and disturbed. And the music kind of swells to match. You know, I think it ends with these crazy, you know, kick drums starts happening way more frequently. and The drums start going nuts and there's all sorts of, uh, you know, crescendoing that's happening with the instrumental. And when he, I hate to use the term, but when he really climaxes with, someone's in my body, someone's in my body. And that repeated, you know, refrain that he conjures up at the end there. It's this really uh, powerful conclusion to the song. And it almost feels like he's getting lost in this swirl of emotions. You know, there's anger, there's lust, there's desperation, there's sadness, there's venom, there's all this stuff that we've, we've talked about. Um, and it, uh, it really feels like, as you said, the finished product by the time you hear this final version from 1984 that, uh, you know, it doesn't really come across in the early version that feels more like a demo. And I think also doesn't really come across in the live versions either. You know, it's it's fun to hear it played live, but it's really more of a vamp. You know, he doesn't sink his teeth into it in nearly the same way. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. That's why I really do think the 84 version is the definitive version for me. And other people might like the 82 version better, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. But for, for me, and again, my money, I'm putting it on the 84 version. And I think you already said that you would as well. Yeah, I did read a, uh, I read a good story when I was flipping through uh, that book I'd mentioned previously, the studio sessions, uh, which is just fantastic. Uh, understanding all the music he was working on across that time period and all the songs that went recorded and not released and all this stuff. But they talk about the band recording uh, or recording a rehearsal in uh, August 83 with Prince and the Revolution and doing, you know, a bunch of extended jams and vamps and things like that. And I believe it was Susan Rogers or I'm going to have to look up who uh, was telling this story exactly. But basically they were rehearsing this song and because it was a hot day, uh, some fuses kept blowing. And so, you know, they have to reset a console or reset some speakers or whatever. And uh, because they were playing Possessed, they kept joking about, oh, you know, maybe it's the devil uh, trying to stop us from playing the song, you know, whatever. Like, maybe this is a sign we should stop. Uh, and it kept happening where the fuses kept blowing and blowing. And uh, I'm quoting here, Prince said, I'm not doing the song. It's not meant to be. <laughs> 
he was so superstitious <laughs> that way and he just stopped he moved on to something else and had that song cut another time so this is 83 uh and he clearly still kept working on the song after that so it didn't scare him off the song entirely or anything like that but it is funny to think about the band making all these jokes about, oh, they don't want us to play the song. The devil's coming after us. That must be why the fuse are blowing until Prince is like, you're right. We're done. <laughs> yep. I can totally see that. I can see him just writing the song off, at least for the moment. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it can be can be looked at as a, you know, a darker song in his early catalog. He, you know, and there's plenty of darker songs in his early catalog, but. So it doesn't feel completely out of place, but if it was, you know, uh, 2014 or 2010 or something, maybe it wouldn't be quite so, so dark. So, or maybe yeah, his tone would have been different. there's an interesting arc to his early albums too, especially when you get to, with Purple Rain sort of as the end of it, where as he goes on, he starts to engage with more serious or at least more, dramatic material you know in dirty mind he's got a song about not wanting to go to war and the rest of his music is very you know sort of personal and sexual up until that point then you get into atomic anxiety in controversy and in 1999 where you know he's making references to bombs dropping and nuclear consequences and i think possessed is him almost taking that a step further and getting into this existential demonic satanic uh devilish idea um that even goes beyond you know our day-to-day reality and getting into sort of you know supernatural or religious sides of things um i think that's kind of an interesting expansion of his his material you know getting into the the sort of dread that you know you can experience and and the the different ways you can stretch the the metaphors that he's playing with um i do think this is sort of the start of the devilish material that he gets into later in his career, right? He does dance with the devil before uh, the Batman soundtrack comes out that, uh, you know, was certainly inspired by the movie, but is him playing around with these scarier sounds and talking about the devil. There's spooky electric in the, the love sexy era. And, you know, I'm sure there are other examples that I didn't pull from some of the later albums of him talking about the devil or demons or Satan or, you know, these sorts of, scarier figures that you know you can represent in a purely religious light or use as a metaphor and i think he really starts with it here in possessed and it's a really great example of him doing that Mm -hmm. yeah thank you i I agree with that and i think that's a great a great way to kind of close this conversation unless you had any further thoughts on possessed that we haven't touched on yet no i i hope I'm excited to listen to the finished version of this and hear all the little uh, parts we're talking about edited in because there really is so much that goes on in any version of this song. It's really fun to hear all the different parts kind of come in and out and you can really feel Prince kind of stretching his his legs on uh, on these tracks. So I want to thank you for having me because I feel like I've liked these songs for so long, but to have a reason to really dig into them and play them on loop, I'm like, oh, I think Possessed might be one of my favorite Prince tracks now. So <laughs> I'm that doing that all the time me. with Prince songs, but I really appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to really geek out on this one and really feeling it rise to the top of the rankings, you know? Yeah, that happens to me all the time with these episodes. I like, like, wow, this song is way better than I thought it was. And then I move on to the next song. It's like, wait, now, this is the song that I think is way better than I thought it was. So, yeah, you, you pour over something long enough and you really kind of, you know, peel it back and, and get get more out of it, for sure. 
That's and I think that's Prince in miniature for me, uh, is that there's no music, there's no end in sight to the amount of music that's out there for everything that he released, everything that he recorded and didn't release, you know, the people he worked with, all the rehearsals and bootlegs and live stuff, you know. I really enjoy digging into all the ephemera that exists out there because, you know, we look at a song like Possessed, which is fantastic and would be like so many other artists, would be their stairway to heaven. You know, the, it would be their number one song. And for him, it's just a, you know, a toss off kept in the vaults. You know, it's cliche to say that at this point, but, uh, you know, there's really so much to go through. And it was really fun to uh, be able to geek out with you in uh, in a really official manner. And I hope anybody listening was uh, doing the same. here. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. So thank you for being on the show, Jack. Can you point people in your direction from a social media standpoint or anything that you wanted to, to highlight that you've done Prince related? Yeah, I, uh, I I guess it's gauche to do this at this point. It feels like a sinking ship, but uh, you can follow me on Twitter, which is my name, Jack Reedy. Uh, that's where I post a lot of writing and general music bullshit that I do. You can also find me on jackreedy.com. Uh, I got a website and everything where you can find all the stuff I've written. Um, I've published a lot of print stuff in my day, and you can find it scattered all over the internet, including my uh, lovely self-published book, Electric Word Life, which is currently all sold out, but... You're welcome to marvel at the pictures and uh, sign up to get a copy down the line if you ever do a reprint or something like that. Uh, you can slide in my DMs for that. Um, so yeah, find me on the internet. I do a lot of talking about music and writing about music and uh, especially talking and writing about prints. So I appreciate you giving me another forum to do that. It's been a blast. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Jack. This has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger, and you can find the show at PressRewind.net on various social media platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as YouTube. And um, I guess thanks to all the listeners. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.